oh that's sick the the flesh and blood site just is down oh, well because everybody's <laughs> doing what you're doing yeah but the game isn't that popular right actually yeah so i i wanted to show Kristen taylor the hero taylor and so i searched taylor flesh and blood and it didn't come up which has never happened with a magic the gathering card when i've done card name magic the gathering so i was like wow that's a huge gap right now it's really pretty though that card yes i mostly wanted to show her the corgis played out but the card itself just in general is very pretty yeah it doesn't come up just a, a movie flesh and blood in 1979 by judd taylor <laughs> yeah that came up for me too <laughs> i think that's funny <laughs> oh it's the first thing on images though it was not when i searched i had to like be more explicit about it i searched for like taylor flesh and blood hero and then it came up there really is just a corgi in this universe i mean there's humans why can't there be corgis that's a good that's a good point <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to episode 240 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hi Chris, how are you doing? Doing good. We saw each other not too long ago, because we did a little bit of guerrilla coverage this weekend. Yeah, I couldn't see you that well, because you were constantly in a gorilla costume the yep. whole time. Yep, the entire time. Even when we were not on camera, I had to commit. So yeah, I asked important. you what we were going to do for dinner and you said you have some uh, burritos, but I needed to cook it myself because it was too difficult with the gorilla, the, the gorilla costume. And I can contractually only eat bananas. So, you know, which we didn't have. Yeah. So I was very <laughs> hungry the whole time. But doing coverage on Honor Extreme was really fun. I super enjoyed it. Yeah, it was really good. I, I got a lot of compliments from people on the good job that we did. Oh, I should have. I don't remember if I passed on one. I'll, I'll message you one that yeah. is relevant. Show me all the compliments. No, you get one. No, I need them to survive. I need to feed my ego or I will shrivel up and die. It'll, it's, it's a really good one. Okay, well, as long as it's a really good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I felt good about it. I, I thought that we did a pretty good show and I obviously we have a good rapport and it's very easy to do commentary with you, but... You know, I'd watch us, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, if I had another like coverage gig coming up or whatever, if I wanted us to do stuff again, I would go back and watch to see what we did mm -hmm. just to learn more stuff. Right? Yeah. So I think that's good to do. Um, I'm about to go back and rewatch that and some of the other coverage that we've done because uh, I want to make a commentary reel to put up as a like little like video resume kind of thing so that will involve some sorting through many hours of footage because i don't really know how to cut together a magic commentary reel but no no craig jones lightning helixes no i don't have that many of those the one the most exciting moment happened when we were not on coverage and we got to jump around the room at the like surgical extraction targeting to fairy time reveler but <laughs> that was very funny God, the, the tweet I did about that was like, weirdly popular because someone on coverage in like round two, I think it was really early in the tournament. This player wasn't certainly playing optimally, I could say. Right. And 
they boarded in surgical extraction and against four color at playing Merc Tide. So a match where it's like you really need to be on the ball or you're gonna get overrun by them. Mm-hmm. And then they just surgical it to fairy. And it's like, hold on. Yeah. What does that accomplish? Well you have to like cabal therapy for this to do anything. <laughs> it it ended the game, but it ended the game in the wrong direction for the surgical extraction player. Yeah, it didn't it had actual no effect. They lost two life. And a card. And got to see how they sideboarded, I guess. But I imagine that's not relevant information when you've boarded in surgical extraction. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a lesson to take from that. I think chat was pretty merciless with them, but it's a it's like a mistake that a lot of people have made over the years. So all we can do is like reemphasize, like do not bring in extraction effects in value-based matchups. No card is that's... important enough. That's like an easy spot to be merciless because it's very conventional wisdom, I think, Mm -hmm. that a lot of people don't really want to accept, I think. Yeah. But that player messed up much more crucially in sequencing the first first game, for instance. Right. And just like using Raghavans and his mana effectively. And that chat was not merciless about that because they were just like, you know, watching their opponent just play elementals and stuff and not realizing that this person had a chance to get in the game at some point. Right, right. I, I feel like they lost... I, I think it was like an even game based on the player's draws, but based on how it played out, it looked like, oh, wow, this deck can never beat this deck because they didn't play their Raghavans correctly against Sorcery Speed removal. Yeah, just lots, lots of little stuff to learn. Coverage, super fun. Definitely, I mean, definitely check out that VOD if if you haven't seen it and Reed and Jarvis get on the next day and there's there's like a lot of fun stuff going on in it so i think we did the best job we did rounds five through eight the most important rounds yeah the most important rounds the cut to day two was the cut to day two unfortunately both of our horses missed in the last round although collins did make day two and it, it was i i was so excited that we got to do two of collins's matches that was dope i it's funny because honorog was like humoring us for i'll oh, see how collins is doing oh he's winning wait he's playing lutri yeah. <laughs> and i think he was just so enamored with the idea that collins was just playing lutri in this tournament he had him on for like an extra round <laughs> yeah and chat chat was into it too they're like oh man this guy's playing lutri i also it was funny because like somebody in the chat was like isn't this the humans guy and it was like collins played humans in an open and won it and then played like a hundred different decks over the rest of the star city games tour yeah but it hits different when you like 17 a tournament it, with it does hit different it hits different when you win the game by casting meddling mage on turn two in top eight yeah any other thoughts about that or should we just get into some new capenna spoilers mm, closing thoughts for coverage is i want to do it again yeah <laughs> any of y'all out there if you're looking for somebody uh i'm gonna reach out to the dreamhack guy who like said content creators reach out and I'm going to try to, <sighs> I'm so bad at self-promo shit because it feels so artificial and not my personality type. But if people don't know you're out there and available for stuff, then they will not tap you for it. And yeah, so got to put yourself out there, I guess. Yeah. And regionals doesn't have all their coverages in-house. They're not allowing any outside coverage right. to be done. Yeah. No guerrilla coverage for this one. Mm-hmm. so got to get in on the team yeah <laughs> do you just want to alternate card for card by card what you know anything that has caught our eyes i know that this this set has not quite done the job of appealing to you yet so 
I was kind of going into this year of sets, not really knowing what to expect. Like I was kind of hesitant for Kamigawa because the last one wasn't that great. Then this set, I had no idea what to expect other than it was multicolored. And then I was really looking forward to the Brothers War mm-hmm. at the end of the year. Kamigawa blew it out of the water. I love that set. Absolutely. It's so good. Yep. And in comparison, like we get to Streets of New Capenia, and honestly, I have not seen a single card that I really care about. And we have 131 cards about. Yeah, that's tough. And some of that's the theme. Like I'm not a huge fan of multicolored sets. Right. And tricolor means that a certain portion of the set it just like has to be difficult to cast three plus cmc cards and that generally doesn't bode well for oh this is a really exciting versatile card that i can see playing in like a lot of decks or something like that yeah the card i've most seen people hype about is just a one generic mana card yes and then on the other side like people talking about the triumphs and being like is this good is this not good this is a lot of colors Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i it's just a weird spot yeah but i mean we'll talk about some of the cards like certainly some of these are going to see play especially in standard you know they're, they're gonna fill a, a bunch a of roles format yeah <laughs> well yeah i mean yes <laughs> i'm i'm pretty much shifting all of my uh evaluating criteria to pioneer modern and cube yeah that's because those are the formats i'll just play that is tough for a new set like, a lot of cards become not very relevant once standard isn't in the equation anymore i agree but i think that's why they've tilted their design philosophy towards commander a lot yeah true and you definitely see that coming out in this set yeah like the first card can we just talk about the first card on that we have got here is lord xander the collector yes this this list is currently sorted by uh usd high to low and lord xander is currently the champ and and by the way i believe this podcast comes out on thursday and I think, if I'm not mistaken, the new Capenna spoiler will be complete by then. So we don't have access to the full set. No, but we're, we're actually only like halfway through the set right now, right? I mean, I, yeah. we have a lot of commons and stuff to, to get. But Thursday is the stream day, and that's when they'll start doing commander spoilers. And I believe we'll have the entire real set by that day. Sure. Or Friday. Okay. But anyway, we've got Lord Xander. Uh, it's a <laughs> four UBR. 6-6 six, six Legendary Vampire Demon Noble with a bunch of text. When he enters the battlefield, target opponent discards half the cards in their hand rounded down. When it attacks, defending player mills half their library rounded down. And when he dies, target opponent sacrifices half their permanents rounded down. So it takes half of your opponent's stuff at various times in its <laughs> lifespan. Or, you know, causes you to lose the game when it attacks because your opponent just put half their library in their graveyard and they might be able to murder you with, like, I can't imagine a more dangerous thing in Commander than putting half of your opponent's library in their graveyard, right? Yeah, so the only constructed thing that people have said about this card is that you can cheat it into play with uh, Soren Imperious Bloodlord. That's the the three minute one, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like in Pioneer, you could play the best Soren ever printed on turn three, take the take it down, and put Lords of the Inner into play. And your opponent discards half their hand, and then you have a six six, which like seems good because it has a ton of text, but you never actually want this card in your deck. Yeah. You never want to draw it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not convinced that cheating this in is like significantly better as far as like game win percentage 
than cheating in Champion of Dusk. And yeah, I think it's really close, actually. Yeah. And drawing this as opposed to drawing Champion of Dusk with no Soren in play. Uh, it's a vast, vast gap in card quality. So one of the dangers of sorting by USD yeah. right there. I think Lord Xander is, is not very, is not it. Yeah, I mean, and certainly like the price is being carried by commander interest, but I like, not that I am a commander expert or anything like that, but boy, this is like the 10th most interesting card in the set for commander to me. It's just like, I I can't fathom having this as my commander in like playing Grixis in a four player game and hitting seven mana and then casting this and then choosing one of my opponents and saying discard half of your cards rounded down and being like satisfied with that situation yeah this is the same i mean the last time we had guilds you could play with cedrus the trader king which is a super cool card mm -hmm. uh, lots of cool grixis legendaries and alara block actually yes yeah this one isn't doing it for me on like any axis but uh, the next card is, though, this to me, it, I, I think you mentioned this earlier, but this is the most exciting card in the set to me as well. This is Obnixilis the Adversary, uh, one black red for a three loyalty Planeswalker. This Obnixilis, one of the least Obnixilis Planeswalkers I've ever seen, if we're still using that terminology to describe a five mana Planeswalker that pluses to draw a card and minuses to kill something. Three loyalty planeswalker for three mana. It has casualty X. And casualty is one of the keyword abilities in the set. That's when you cast this spell, you may sacrifice a creature with power as required by the casualty cost. And if you do, copy this spell. And so this one has casualty X. So you can sacrifice any creature, makes a copy. The copy isn't legendary, and it has starting loyalty X. It's plus one is each opponent loses two life unless they discard a card. If you control a demon or devil, you gain two life. Minus two, create a one one red devil with when this dies, deals one to any target. And minus seven, target player draws seven cards and loses seven life. So this to me just seems like really medium if you're not sacrificing a creature. But if you're getting two copies of this and you start using that plus one, like... The more you use that plus one, the better it is. So if you're using it twice a turn, it seems potentially really good. Yeah, I, I really like this card. I think it's not very good if you just play it straight up. Like its abilities are so low impact. Mm -hmm. the, the plus one once a turn kind of equals out their draw step. They just keep the least important card in their hand. Like it can't be attacks, but when you copy Obnixless and then get to like force them to keep losing life yeah that's not even getting into the devil ability which is really only be used for like a board presence tool i think mm -hmm. and you can also use one of the you can use the high loyalty to make a devil and the low loyalty to make them discard and you gain two life mm -hmm. which is a way for you to like gain life in these uh like red blast sacrifice decks that don't have a ton of ways to do that other than food tokens well and meat hook massacre which represents a lot of life over the course of a game yeah but that's it's an additional effect yeah that you can do yeah yeah it also notably you know all three mana planeswalkers are pretty good against control decks but this one it copies itself so even if they are holding up a counter spell you still are going to get one and then that's you know fine it's pressuring them less but it is a good play on a turn where they're holding up a three mana counter spell yeah, this card is not like kicker 
like the mm-hmm. Jake Spear mage, you can't counter both of the Omnixiluses because casualty is is kind of like Storm. Like you make a copy of the spell. Yeah. So they have to counter both of them. Yeah. Also, if you sacrifice a big creature, this is one of the easiest planeswalkers to like immediately ultimate. It's uh, ultimate is target player draws seven cards and loses seven life. So sometimes you can't do that. But if you have a creature that's like temporarily big or whatever, I'm not sh- sure of like anything specific, but if you, I don't like att- used a pump spell on a Dreadhorde Arcanist and then attacked and pumped it again and then sacrificed it, you can like very quickly or immediately ultimate. I don't know what configuration of deck is able to get a seven power creature easily to do this, but that is a a route you can go. Or if you just have a pretty big creature, you can threaten to draw seven cards relatively easily. You can, most relevantly, I see this, like you can sacrifice a Kroxa if you have a bunch of mana Mm -hmm. and bring her back. Sure. Don't know how, the timing doesn't super work a lot of the time, but I think most of the time you'll be sacrificing a small creature and just being happy with your small planeswalker. Yeah, probably. If if you sacrifice like a Skyclave Shade, then you get two three loyalty ones. If you sacrifice a Shambling Gas, then you don't even like throw a card into having your second Obnixilus. Really, like you're happy. You're really happy with that result. So, an Eye Twitch. Yeah, or any <laughs> any creature that dies into a creature, so you have a blocker for your two planeswalkers. Uh, in addition to whatever you put, you know, if you have like a one mana creature that dies into a creature, play a two mana creature, play Obnixilus, sacrifice the the Doom Traveler. Like, that's t- I think the only black Doom Traveler is Nested Shambler, mm-hmm. which is only a modern. Yeah, there's some red ones though. There's Grim Initiate and stuff. Oh, I don't want to play Grim Initiate. I don't, I don't either, but like there are options here. Yeah, I, I guess there are options. Actually, is there one other than Grim Initiate? Maybe that's the only one, but. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather sacrifice a Shambling Gas or an Eye Twitch most of the time. Okay. Because those are good cards that you can put in your deck and be fine with when you're not doing this. The next card's a weird one for me. Because mm-hmm. I, I I like it conceptually, but I don't think it does anything. <laughs> so, so this is Luxior, uh, Giada's Gift. It's a one mana equipment, legendary equipment. An equipped creature has plus one, plus one for each counter on it. And you can equip this creature for three. You can also equip it to a planeswalker for one. And if you equip it to a planeswalker, it's not a planeswalker anymore. And it's a creature in addition to its other types. So well, the way that works is like if you equip it to Obnixilus, for instance, uh, three loyalty Obnixilus, it stops being a planeswalker. You can still use its loyalty abilities once per turn, like any planeswalker or mm-hmm. any uh, card with loyalty with abilities. With loyalty abilities, yeah. But the... It doesn't die for having zero, zero loyalty, and it doesn't like it's a creature now with four yeah. loyalty. So it, it, can't, be a four, four. it can't be attacked, and damage doesn't remove like if it gets blocked or if blocks it like damage doesn't remove loyalty counters from it. Yeah. So what people have been talking about this is with devoted druid mm-hmm. because a quick creature gets plus one plus one for each counter on it. Devoted druid has minus one minus one counters to untap it. So if you equip this to devoted druid, you have infinite mana. And then you know that's tutorable off Urza Saga, and you can also tutor Viridian Longbow off Urza Saga, which is an equipment that a coastal creature and it becomes a pinger. Like you can just tap it to ping. So you would you know equip up your devoted druid with a thing, make infinite mana, equip the longbow up to it, ping them, untap it, ping them, etc. Until they die. Mm-hmm. You don't even need to make the infinite mana at that point. 
Yeah, but it's a flex. Yeah, of course. You do need the Giada on the the Javoda Druid <laughs> to kill them with Rudy Longbow. Yes, yes, yes. But so even though you're not needing infinite mana, you need, you need, a, you need a couple of mana. You just don't need like a ton. Yeah, you, you get a few off of your combo. So I think people are into this because it's a devoted druid combo, which people love, and it's combo pieces other than devoted druid are tutorable off of Urza Saga, mm-hmm. and you can still play a Stoneforge Mystic package because two of them are equipment. Yeah, I mean that's a nice like total setup definitely the choke point here is like access to devoted druid and if you make your deck so focused on this such that like you have all of these cards that don't really work without a devoted druid in play then all your opponent needs to do is like keep devoted druid off of the battlefield which they want to anyways so i don't know that this deck will end up being great but people will definitely try it yeah i think it'll be awful yeah, okay. <laughs> that, that seems really possible. Devoted Druid sees no play in modern right now because it's just not a good combo. Mm-hmm. Like the you're limited by essentially your giver of runes and your devoted druids because those are the only things that like give you a devoted druid on the table. Mm-hmm. There's no other card other than devoted druid that can do what it does. Uh, you, and you can like devoted druid a lot of random stuff like Vizier of Remedies and now this card. It doesn't actually change the fact that you could just like lightning bolt their devoted druid when you want when you need to right but it does create like there's just a like a weird incentive structure with devoted druid where like yeah you want to just like have access to vizier of remedies but like vizier of remedies is terrible and you can't run that many copies of it and although you always want to have one when you have a devoted druid in play you can't just like run four vizier of remedies and the the sidestep where you get to run a bunch of urza sagas to get your one or two luxiors like that is a nice difference but i don't know that it like brings this to the realm of oh yeah i definitely want to be playing this in modern the format with solitude and fury now so so i've played uh, yeah i don't I didn't even really come to grips with the fact that you deal with fury and solitude now which is also impossible for that deck yeah the problem with the devoted druids, I've played against this deck so much. Yeah, it's just too present based on how good it is at all times. Essentially, like mm-hmm. I remember playing against it in Oko format, which is just laughable. <laughs> uh, and I don't. I, I think Luxier is actually quite a bit worse than Fizir because you're not you're not a good or is well not not really. It's a, not a like clear. Luxier is way better than Vizier because you can tutor it. I, I think that's a plus. But like Vizier and Devoted Druid being companyable is like the only thing I was ever scared of out of the deck if they put both combo pieces on the field at the same exact time and <laughs> yeah. you had such a narrow window to interact with it. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the case with Luxior. And it costs three mana to equip instead of two to play like Vizier does. Right. So you get pretty blown out when they bolt your Druid in response to it. Yeah, it's it's just too many downsides and no real... Like, you're not even a good Urza Saga deck because you have so few artifacts, so your Construct backup plan is not very good. Yeah, I would be much more interested in a version that is capable of playing more artifacts and is doing something kind of different and leans into the Construct backup plan as like, yeah, of course you're going to, like, kill all of my devoted druids, but once you spent your resources on that, then I have other things. So if somebody can build that version, then I'm much more interested in that. We'll have to see. Like maybe there is a, a universe where you can play like backup constructs, a bunch of bad creatures, and then like some fine creatures mm-hmm. to like have a tertiary plan. Because I know this the backup Ursa Saga plan with the Devoted Druid thing is not really going to 
No, you need to be an artifact deck for that to work out or, yeah. you know, have be a, like an underworld cookbook deck or something like that. Obviously, that doesn't go with Devoted Druid, but, you know, you have Yet. to be putting artifacts in play to make your constructs seven sevens or whatever. And then that's a backup plan. Maybe some sort of like Elvish Reclaimer thing. Keep putting Urza Saga in play. <laughs> then you just want to vote a Druid and play for the mana and all his Urza Saga activation. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, like that's great. <laughs> but then your opponent's never going to let you have it. Well, fine. Whatever. Then I'll just like keep making Urza Sagas over this slow game. I don't all know. Right. Could be something. I I think this card is destined to unplayable. Yeah. But it is neat. I like this card. It is neat. It's not going to equip very many Planeswalkers. Which is a shame. Mm-hmm. Next, we have Vivian on the Hunt. This is a six mana Vivian, four GG for a four loyalty Planeswalker. Plus two is Birthing Pod. You can sacrifice a creature. If you do, search your library for a creature card with mana value equal to one, plus the sacrifice creature's mana value, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. Plus one, you mill five cards, then put any number of creature cards milled this way into your hand. And minus four, create a four, four, or minus one, sorry, create a four, four green rhino warrior creature token. So the like meme about this is that in modern, you can easily Felidar guardian combo with this, but this is also a six mana planeswalker. And I don't believe that people will actually play the creature that sneak attacks this in, in a playable deck. So I'm not like really interested in Vivian on the hunt for modern Felidar combo I, I need you to explain the combo to me okay so you have a three mana creature in play which could be the modern horizons two dude that sneak attacks a planeswalker into play plane bound accomplice i think that's it yeah yeah you birthing pot away your three you get felidar guardian you blink the vivian on the hunt then you birthing pot away your felidar guardian you get karmic guide bring back your felidar guardian blink the vivian again sacrifice your felidar guardian get kiki jiki copy karmic guide get felidar guardian then you have felidar guardian kiki jiki nice yeah thanks it's a lot of one ofs of uh kind of mediocre cards in modern yeah and if you drew them then you are in trouble up to and including playing by the accomplice and vivian mm-hmm. actually all of the cards in this description i would describe as unplayable in modern. i agree completely <laughs> So I'm not interested in that version of using Vivian on the hunt. I don't want to do this in modern. That sounds really bad to me. As far as like six mana green planeswalkers go, you know, this is one of them. It's doing stuff. I don't know about birthing potting, but this just creates a 4-4 rhino every turn for three turns. And then you can plus it and then you can make more rhinos after that. Like that's a lot of power and toughness. Like this actually just is a six mana planeswalker that does stuff. And maybe you want that, or maybe you just play Run in 7. Yeah, I need to look up what you can play in. Because uh, I know there's a 5-mana Garrick that makes 3-3s three every turn as a plus. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of green mana, but uh, I don't know if he's legal in Pioneer. Because 6-mana is a lot in any format. It is. And the, the most I could see this being played in is Pioneer. But there's already a green Devotion deck, and they already play mm-hmm. really good mana sinks. I don't think they need this. To, no, to probably compete. not. No, I mean, this feels like a, a fine standard card to me that may be just like outmoded by Red and Seven existing. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Or even Vivian Reed. Like, <laughs> for 
uh, older formats. Like Vivian yeah. Reed is a really good Planeswalker. Mm-hmm. She pluses defined creatures. She doesn't make Rhino Warriors. Yeah. But she has a bunch of utility that this Vivian does not. But this does create a fair amount of battlefield presence, has like a potential amount of utility in it. Like the fact that the plus two can often like get you a naturalize effect or something like that is kind of neat. I'm also annoyed that the plus one mill five cards and put any number of creature cards milled this way into your hand like gets turned off by a rest in peace effect so if they have a rest in peace effect that's probably making your birthing potting worse and also like making this plus one not do anything see i also noticed that but it didn't bother me that much because i thought like when would i expect to play a green deck that's like someone would want to board in rest in peace again Mm mm-hmm and then I asked myself the question, when was I going to play Vivian on the hunt? And yeah. I just decided I didn't care. <laughs> well, listen, if you are birthing potting away Felidar Guardian to get Karmic Guide and they decide to stop that by casting Rest in Peace against you, you don't have a backup plan on this Planeswalker of like getting... Well, I can make Rhinos. Creatures. You can just make Rhinos. <laughs> I can just which make is probably a fine but backup plan piece. against Rest in Peace. <laughs> like, they, come on. <laughs> it's just really weird wording to mill the cards and and i I guess there's probably some synergy thing in the set or something but it's just shorter number of words for moderately the same thing yeah probably yeah and on a planeswalker you want to be pithy if you can right well maybe not pithy but (laughs) (laughs) all right i want to talk about herbrask because i like Mm herbrask uh yeah we're getting to all the cards i like just at the very beginning (laughs) the rest of the set is all downhill uh, Urbrask is a 3RR 44 legendary Praetor, Phyrexian Praetor. Has haste. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, you exile the top card of your library. You can play it this turn. And at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, the next time they would draw a card this turn, instead they exile the top card of their library and they can play it that turn. <laughs> so it's kind of like, I mean, like all Praetors, it's this weird double sided thing for each player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Urbrask is an Uba Mask. So they, they can't, like, stockpile cards in their hand. They're forced to just play off the top if they can only draw one card a turn. What a strange... It's really strange that they sound so similar. Or a Brask and Uba Mask. Yes. I doubt that was intentional, but it's pretty funny after I heard it out loud. <laughs> I... It has to be, right? Like... I mean, this is the second Ura Brask, though. But... The first one didn't do anything like it. I know, but this one, like, absolutely somebody in the in on the design team who came up with this was like, isn't this cute? Or Abrask does Uba Mask. And then somebody was like, that is really cute. We can't change it. This We're locked in. Yeah. This is what we're doing now. Yep. I mean, I think this is a good hate effect for a, a red Praetor to have. Because mm-hmm. all the Praetors have a hate effect. That's just what they do. Uh, and the joke is you can like use Dranith Magistrate or whatever to lock your opponent out of playing cards. Uh, I don't know how relevant that is. Yeah. This feels like a creature that you just like would rather cast a dragon over most of the time. Yeah, I think it's only going to be useful in kind of like prison-y strategies where you want extra cards mm-hmm. and you just want a body. Yeah. And that's kind of it. I don't really think it sees play elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's neat. It's a really neat design. I like the, like, I would never have expected this particular way of doing that, like, mirrored effect. And it's really cute that 
you're getting that extra card. They're getting like a weird restriction on when they can cast their card. It's 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 neat. Yeah, if it flips a counterspell, they're just they're done. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's definitely very good if you manage to resolve it against a counterspell heavy deck, but it is a five mana creature. Yeah, fair. Well, I just simply put my Cavern of Souls on Phyrexian. <laughs> yeah, neither of these creature types great for Cavern of Souls. I don't know how many Phyrexians or Praetors you're going to have in any deck where Cavern of Souls is legal. Well, we're click, qu- quickly climbing in the number of Praetors available. <laughs> yes, but castable. I don't I don't know. How many Vorinclexes are we running in modern? Well, it's not as quite as good as Primeval Titan. So Yeah, it's tough. I don't know. I don't really want to talk about Rafine Scheming Seer. No, we can talk about the Trilands, though. Yeah, Trilands like Rafine's are Tower. Obviously great. Very, very powerful. They are... Don't buy these right now. Don't buy these for $20. That, That's very silly. Wait. Well, these are these are all pre-release, like, Tuesday prices. They yeah. go down when the seg actually gets opened. But, like, people have to be they wouldn't be at these prices unless people were actually buying them at them at some point like don't pre-order these for twenty dollars like triumphs were never twenty dollars and these won't be either they're also rares they're not mythics so yeah there'll, there'll be a lot of them and also like, these cards are just good to exist commander rares or commander mythics are going to be like absorbing a lot of the value of this set i believe so you, you'll be able to pick up the the constructed playable rares for not also, that much if it bothers you don't buy them because they may release a secret lair that has just like jun triumph <laughs> true in the name <laughs> instead of uh what is it Zeotora's proving ground wow good job did you sc- scroll down to see that or did you know uh, no, it? i knew that one. wow i'm never gonna know these uh well i read some of the story so i know the main characters and what colors they are but for the layperson you have no shot at getting any of these. We could not get further removed from what these basic land types are. Zeodor's like proving, proving ground, ground is just a boxing ring in a warehouse. It's a boxing ring in a warehouse basement. There's not a swamp, a mountain, or a forest to be seen. It has nothing to do with any of those things. Well, you see, the forest is all of, all of the, the boxes. Uh, cardboard boxes. And they're piled in a mountainous shape. Yeah, and the swamp is... The corruption. It's a metaphorical swamp. Yeah. <laughs> of course. We've stepped very far out of the light of our, of our lord in the uh, realm of naming basic land types. It, it's just not... Rafine's Tower. It's just a tower. There's not a, There's nothing plains, island, or swamp about... The, it's a tower. It kind of looks like it's raining. I get... I, I get that <laughs> cities are tough to do basic lands in. Although, speaking of that, the basic land art for this set. It's good. It's good. The The art deco vibe overall for this set I, I am into. But man, these full art basics are are something else. I really enjoy Elspeth and Obnix Lissa's attire just in like oh, yes. formal wear. Yes. Yeah, no, we're looking at this is so this Obnixilis at the top is definitely not the like, he's got some pinstripes on his pants, but he's wearing some armor. This is not Obnixilis in just a dapper suit from the art that I like, so. Oh, the, like, borderless one? Yeah, the borderless <laughs> one. Looks like he's holding a glass of wine, but there's nothing There's there. nothing in his hand? Yeah. But maybe he's, like, get gesturing for someone to be executed or something like that. 
but the rings someone the rings the pocket watch chain the 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 gold buttons on his vest every detail here is like phenomenal yeah i just want more yeah i I really like elspeth's art like just like i really like chandra dressed to kill i just want more planeswalkers in in party wear more more planeswalkers and dresses and suits i think that's that's something we can all get behind yeah easily no she looks amazing here with the the bob and the yeah it this art rules you want to talk about the card yeah i guess we can talk about the card so this is Elspeth Resplendent, three white white for a five loyalty planeswalker. Uh, plus one, choose up to one target creature, put a plus one plus one counter and a counter from among flying, first strike, lifelink, or vigilance on it. Minus three, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may put a permanent card with mana value three or less from among them onto the battlefield with a shield counter on it. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. A shield counter on a permanent is the next time this would be destroyed or damaged. Instead, remove the shield counter from it. And prevent Uh, that stuff. And prevent that, yes. You don't just remove the counter and do nothing. Minus seven, you create five, three, three white angel creature tokens with flying. This one's kind of a tough one for me to evaluate. I've like gone back and forth a bunch of different ways on it. I kind of like it as a like modal thing when you're trying to establish a battlefield presence. This like puts a permanent into play and then kind of keeps going and threatens to do it again. Or if you're tied up and you know you're in like a token z mirror and neither player can get traction you can just kind of get to her ultimate pretty quickly and then put 15 flying power in play that is less exciting to me in a format where the decks that get tied up in those situations are all running a bunch of meat hook massacres because like spending an ultimate and then meat hook massacre just killing the board is not exciting (laughs) i'm kind of in the other mode for the planeswalker i really Mm -hmm. like her drop down to the board and be able to get a permanent that's like top seven cards is a lot yeah if you're putting like an adeline with a shield counter in play off of this or something like the shield counter you get on the permanent is pretty important yeah because it makes it really hard to get rid of and it lets elspeth protect herself pretty well even though that is a minus three which is steep Mm -hmm. uh the upside is of course when you don't have to do that when you have a battlefield you can just start plussing and give your creatures either first strike or lifelink which are incredible defensive abilities yeah and the plus one plus one counter so and the counter and you just ultimate in two turns yeah i I think she needs like she's not generically powerful or good or anything Mm -hmm. like she's not uh, i will play this on turn five and she will win me the game kind of deal like to fairy time rev or to fairy uh hero dominaria Mm -hmm. is she requires a lot more setup than that but she like has roles she works in yeah and I mean, we've seen the white three mana creatures are just incredibly good in the stand. It's like, I don't know if this is an accurate representation, but I saw that like on Goldfish, seven of the top 10 creatures played in standard are white and they all cost three mana because <laughs> you just like swap in whichever one is good at any given time. Basically, any of those you put in with a shield counter off of her is good so whatever threes you're running she's gonna get a good one and if you have three mana planeswalkers in your deck then that's an option i don't know if an esper deck uh, i guess the shield counter on well shield counter on kaido shizuki means that it's like really really difficult to take that thing out phases out then phases back in with the shield counter on it still yeah so yeah i think i could be convinced on this card i think there are decks for it yeah it it seems 
I didn't even think about the Planeswalker synergy because you can get <laughs> any permanent card. That's nice. Yeah, and the shield counter, the way that works is like if multiple creatures attack it in combat, like that's one time of being dealt damage, right? So that's just like a, a, a combat step is a shield counter no matter how many creatures they have. I'm fairly confident that it is. So but that's... I would have to look like when the rules come out. So if you do get that on a Planeswalker, that is pretty good. All right now, unfortunately, we're kind of out. <laughs> yeah. So we've talked about one, two, three, four, five, six cards and all the triumphs. Mm -hmm. And now we have to figure out stuff to talk about. <laughs> okay. Well, but, all right. So devilish valet, I think is really sweet and could, could certainly have application in pioneer. All right. You're going to have to convince me on this one. Do you all want right. me to read it? Yes. So the Devilish Valet is a 2R1-3 Devil Warrior with Trample and Haste. It has Alliance, which is a, no a nonsense word. Uh, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you double its power until end of turn. You double Devilish Valet's power until end of turn. Yep. So 3 mana 1-3, you play another creature, it's a 2 mana 2-3. It's a 2-3, play another creature, it's a 4-3. Right, so I think that this works really well with... Uh, rally the ancestors it just like makes rally Ooh. very lethal very easily okay i i haven't heard that one yet i've <laughs> so i've looked at this card and people have told me it's good in pioneer because it works with like chandra no i, I don't care about tokens. that nonsense and i'm like that's not good i never want to draw devilish valet but if i could just like put a bunch of cards into my graveyard and never have to have devilish valet in play right and then rally the ancestors to kill someone i'm i'm for that yeah yeah or in historic it might even be better it probably is better because you have season pyromancer and faithless looting to go with this and season pyromancer rally the ancestors like if you have season pyromancers in your deck to rally back with devilish valet, like you only need to bring back like valet, a pyromancer, and like one other, like, you know, it's very easy to kill them at that point. Yeah, maybe there's like some beetleback chief type cards that like yeah. war marshal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I I hadn't thought of this card with rally the ancestors. That makes me like it a lot more because of, you know, in my pre rally the ancestors world, I thought this card was just. No, I'm not. I'm not trying to cast this thing. I'm only trying to bring it back with like several other creatures and then murder them. How many creatures do you need to have for it to let's see be in lethal? So one other creature is two. Uh, one more is four. One more is eight. Then sixteen. One more is sixteen. That's so five, other creatures. five other. That's nothing for a rally turn, right? Yeah, that's that's not that bad. You can play Stitcher Supplier too. Because you'll need to actually have that many red cards. Instead, your supplier is so good with Rally. It is pretty bonkers with Rally. So, so yeah, yeah that, that's what I want to do with this card. All right. I'm, I'm interested in that. None of this, I'm going to spend my three mana turn to no, play no, no, Devilish no. Valet, especially so, since there's so Any many idea what three, three mana <laughs> cards we have access to in Pioneer? Like, good lord. I mean, Bonecrusher Giant's one of them, and it's like on the kind of lower end. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Hideaway is back. Wait, does Hideaway still have this comes into play tapped or have they they took it they out. took it they out took out Hideaway from coming into play tapped and I think they're going to Urgrata the other cards with Hideaway so they don't they are coming into play tapped now so is Watcher still not gonna, part of Hideaway so is Watcher still going to come into play tapped even though it's, it ha it has to because it's like so busted if it doesn't <laughs> like have you ever heard of Wall of Moments here's Watcher tomorrow the same card but a Goblin Biker and it's an impulse instead. <laughs> 
but I I like Watcher. For, I would really love to be able to play Watcher for tomorrow that can block on the turn that it comes into play. It, that would be so strong. In <laughs> it really what? Would be. In modern? It would be too good for modern? Like, really? Are, I mean, are we really saying that? Yeah, yeah kind of. Do we not want Watcher for tomorrow to be playable in modern? Not when it can find all the stupid powerful elementals and such. Mm-hmm. Like the the best deck plays Ice Wing Quaddle as like a board control tool that just cantrips, and Watcher yeah. of Tomorrow does that so much better. <laughs> Not like generically because you can't like jump a Death Shadow with Watcher of Tomorrow and get there, but because you're looking at four cards, yeah. It's, but uh, Watcher doesn't give you the card until it leaves the battlefield. Like it, yeah, I know. So I don't know. I think it'd be fine. I'm like pretty confident it would be fine. Maybe they won't errata it, and we'll see. <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, Unlucky Witness is a card that I read incorrectly the first time and thought it was a lot better than it actually is. This is one red for a 1-1 human citizen. When it dies, exile the top two cards of your library. Until your next end step, you may play one of those cards. I think just like the other dies effects are generally better. Like Shambling Ghast is just just better than this <laughs> if you want to be sacrificing one mana creatures. Even Greminitiate is <laughs> just... <laughs> that may not be true. <laughs> that one I might disagree with. Yeah, because you don't get both of the cards, it sucks. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about Obscura Charm? Yeah, I wanted to go to a different card. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, let's see. So this is the Esper Charm. Yeah, I think this card has some legs, potentially. Modes on this card are... Return target multicolored permanent card with mana value 3 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped... Counter target instant or sorcery spell. Destroy target creature or planeswalker with mana value three or less. I think the first time I read it, I didn't realize that it said multicolored permanent. So you can't return Narset or Teferi. You can only return your Teferi with this. So that definitely weakens it a lot in my gut estimation. It does just kind of like be good in a lot of situations as long as you happen to have the multicolored permanent cards with mana value three or less to return and in modern that's certainly to fairy time raveler but you can only fit so many three mana cards in your deck and are we not like i know we can't always put archmage's charm as our three mana instant but i would kind of rather have archmage's charm than this and that would influence my deck building here to fairy time raveler is three mana so I don't know exactly what place this is, but it's modes like I don't think it's hard that hard to build a deck where like it's going to be pretty good a lot of the time. Uh, where I fall on the charms, like all of the charms, including mm-hmm. this one, is that I don't think they're playable on their own merits. Mm-hmm. Like, but they're good if you have a deck that's just like a, a generically tricolor deck. Yeah that wants a kind of value card Mm -hmm. i think you do already you kind of already have to be these colors and i don't know that any of these charms make you want to be that combination right so you you just like slot it in if you want kind of like keeping your sideboard options flexible Mm -hmm. where you like have naturalizes instead of really targeted enchantment hate or something like that yeah this just does a bunch of things that you could put in your main deck and that's kind of where i fall on all of the charms except for riveter's charm which is yeah. the Jund one. Yeah. Uh, because that one has the mode where you can exile the top three cards of your library and play them mm-hmm. uh, until the end of your next turn, because that's an instant. It's kind of like a end of your turn, play it, you draw three. Yeah, I I think Riveteer's Charm is really good. 
if you're in this color combination like i for instance the sacrifice decks in pioneer mm-hmm. I, I could see this card being really strong in it because sure. it's a deck that really wants to be able to load up and the exiling a player's graveyard mode in pioneer is really strong yeah and the third so re- the the three modes on on this one are target opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker they control with the highest mana value among creatures and planeswalkers they control Exile the top three cards of your library until your next end step. You may play those cards or exile target player's graveyard. Exile target player's graveyard, as you said, is just like a great mode to have access to kind of like a little bit for free. And then the this being a split card between like acceptable removal spell, because we've seen that particular form of edict text before, and it's just fine. Generally costs three mana and you generally get three or more mana out of it. And when you don't have a thing that you want slash need to kill as long as your deck is constructed properly then you can trade this in for three cards yeah it's reverse charm is is very good i think it's the one standout charm yeah the other ones i could take or leave or in the case of uh cabaretti charm the naya one just like desperately wish it were with charm (laughs) yeah the the naya charm is really weird it just like reads to me like this card can't cost three mana and have these abilities like this is a two mana spell right yeah the 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 previous there's two naya charms Mm -hmm. previously there's naya charm itself like the real one from Mm alara and there's uh rith's charm those are both naya colored charms that are both way better than this card yeah and those are from like 20 years ago in some cases right it it's this is a really weird one i don't even want to read it because i'm so bummed about it probably should talk about an offer you can't refuse and just like go ahead and get this one wrong to get it out of the way so this is a blue mana instant counter target non-creature spell its controller creates two treasure tokens this is the the reverse spell pierce (laughs) yes it is good in like exactly the spots where spell pierce is not good and i think that generally that means that you would play negate over this because you can cast negate in the spots where like this would be acceptable most of the time you you also don't want to give your opponent any possible synergies and giving them treasures is an avenue to that and you you can't cast this on the first like three or four turns of the game or else you're just gonna die yeah man imagine casting this on your uh pioneer opponent's soren and then they just play xander like a turn later yeah i Maybe I just don't have enough imagination for like matchups or spots where this card would be good, but there's so many matchups and spots where this card is terrible that it's hard for me to imagine putting it in a deck because even if you've like picked your spot for it, it's like, well, that's my negate sideboard slot, but I can't just like use this as a negate. I can't counter their three mana planeswalker with this thing without just immediately dying to their five mana planeswalker. I I think that even if it even if you find something specifically that it does well it does so many things badly that you can't justify the slot for it i like comparing this card to swan song mm-hmm. in that swan song is like a similar catch-all counter spell that gives your opponent a thing mm-hmm. for a single mana well not quite all it doesn't it's a very it doesn't hit planeswalkers <laughs> yeah. but the it doesn't hit artifacts either right it's like yeah you're right instant sorcery enchantment it is a very weird list of types (laughs) but like it's similar to me where you only play swan song if you just want near narrow windows of interaction for a single mana and have your opponent like not be able to do anything about it Mm -hmm. 
And if the treasures on this card came into play tapped, I would say this is like a pretty good upgrade over Swan Song. But they don't. <laughs> yeah. So that's not good. Yeah. And right, right. So like imagine that you're you cast your important spell, they cast a counter spell, you cast an offer you can't refuse. Now they have mana for that other negate in their hand that they were choked on. Yeah, so I'm not a huge fan of an offer you can't refuse. I will be refusing it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have enough imagination for this card. Mm. I love Mysterious Limousine. I'll never cast it outside of Limited, but the design of this card made me laugh out loud. This is a, a crew two vehicle, five mana for a four four. Whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, you exile up to one other target creature until it leaves the battlefield. If a creature is put into exile this way, you return each other card exiled with Mysterious Limousine to the battlefield under its owner's control. So it just drives around, like, beckoning to people to get in and then kicking them out. I I love this stupid card. It's kind of a weird blink engine, too. Yeah. Although an expensive one. But it does have to, like, attack to be blinking and, like... It's so you're like you have to put it into well, danger you, for it to do its blinking can, thing. You can exile one of your own creatures when it comes in, and then when it attacks, you would get you exile it back. a blocker. Yeah, and it's also like a crew card, right? You can see what your opponent does on their battlefield and decide sure. how you want to use it. I mean, this this card's de- obviously very good in limited, so I'll be excited to like goof around with it there. But <sighs> man, it feels like this set you just kind of it just kind of drags. Mm-hmm. Like the, a lot of the cards don't seem quite costed for constructed like they're a little too many colors or a little too small for how much you're paying for them yeah i tend to agree so there's one cool card that i think that's going to be played in several formats that's to populate this is a two white white sorcery each player who controls a multicolored creature draws a card then destroy all creatures so this is kind of like shadow of the sky in terms of wrath of gods yeah uh, and a way less like shadow of the sky you it was a really good shadow of the sky when usually you want a wrath when they have a four power creature. So right. they get a card back, but you clear the board and it's supposed to be a good tempo thing for you. But with this card, they're like not even guaranteed to have a multicolored creature in every format you want to play this in. Yeah. I mean, even like standard that I think a lot of decks aren't going to be running that many multicolored creatures, even though there's a multicolored set in here. Right. Yeah. And, and then this is just wrath of God. One thing that we have seen with Shadow of the Sky is you can make it so that you draw a card off of it. If you have any like throwaway multicolored creatures that give you something on the way in or out, then you can get a card off of your Wrath of God. Yeah, I just think it's like a, a really good addition. Like, yeah. I enjoy four mana Wrath of Gods <laughs> for Warrants to have access to while not being like straight up Wrath of God. Yeah. Like five mana Wraths are so medium. <laughs> do not like them i do not want them (laughs) yes i they're a tough sell but i also don't like just having actual wrath of god in standard all the time you know that like that puts like a weird constraint on the creatures of the format that cards like shadow the sky and hopefully depopulate like creates an interesting dynamic i hope so but i'm I mean, Shadow's guy didn't have a great track record last time because there was a mm-hmm. different creature that was having constraints on the format in Uru. Yeah, true. So, we'll see how it shakes out in a little more reasonable stance this time. Mm-hmm. A lot of Shadow of the Skies were cast that drew a card off of your Uro and then you immediately recast your Uro. So that was not very fun. No, not very fun at all. 
Do you have the graveyard car? Where is the graveyard car? I know it has hearse in the name. Unlicensed hearse. Yeah, unlicensed hearse. This is a two mana vehicle with star, star, power and toughness and crew two. It has tap exile up to two cards from tar from a single graveyard and its power and toughness are equal to the number of cards exiled with it. I think that this is like a really cool way to do graveyard hate. It like keeps going over time. So like I could see application of this in older formats where it just like keeps attacking your opponent's graveyard. It doesn't die to creature removal the way that like a scavenging ooze does. It doesn't require extra mana. And then at some point when you play a two power creature and you just get to like attack for eight or 10 or something with this thing. Uh, yeah. I, it does cost two mana instead of one, which is like the right. Big, a really a big good deal. point, uh, especially for modern. I, I don't think this card could see modern play just because of Urza Saga. Sure. But for like Pioneer, uh, I do like this card a lot. Mm -hmm. Like it seems it could be really good against something like Phoenix, for instance, where they want to have delve stuff all the time and their Phoenixes as well. Like even if they get their Phoenixes back because you're using your hearse, you can still really cripple their deck in a like fairly main deckable card. Yeah. Because it's just a vehicle. Yeah. And if you're just good at crewing vehicles, crew two is, you know, a difference from the crew one vehicles for sure. You can't crew with like three bin inspector type cards. But ideally, once when you're crewing this, it will be like a six six or larger and worth the effort. I like this card. I think it's very good. Yeah. I no real complaints about this card. I, I think it's a good design. If you are bad at putting cards into graveyards if you're just like a very heavy creature deck and then your opponent isn't cooperating because you know then this is a risky main deck card in that sort of situation but if you're playing removal and duresses and whatever's then you know you can make this <laughs> if you're happen. a grease vein deck with stitcher supplier you can still play this card Ooh, it works on both ends kind of love that yeah I mean, I don't know how the, like, you give a different, like, A plan with that, but it is a neat little sideboard thing. Well, any format where, like, Grease Fang becomes the best deck and you need some Mirror Breakers, this is what you want. <laughs> well, I actually think it's pretty bad in a Mirror, because they just want to dump one card in their hand at Sorcery Speed and then get it, get their Grease Fang back. Well, but you just, you hold this up, right? But do you get to pick the cards for this card? I thought they got to pick. I didn't actually read the card, I just, like, recited it out of memory. No, oh yeah, exile up to two target cards for yeah. single graveyard. Yeah, you get to pick. I didn't realize that. I thought it was more like relic. No, yeah, I I think this card like works out pretty well, and we'll see quite a bit of play. Yeah, you're right. That, that's really much better than I thought it was. I thought <laughs> I was already pretty high on it. Yeah, yeah, just as a like a way to keep their graveyard empty. But this actually just is hate. You can't resolve a a reanimate spell with this thing in play. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like there's a little bit of the. I actually really like the tension there where it's like, man, this thing is an 8-8. I do want to start attacking my opponent with it. But if they're able to dump a thing and get it back this turn, then like I like that tension where you got to make that decision. Well, that's when you find the second one and you're like, all right, this yeah. one's on driving duty. And yeah. This one's on parking duty. <laughs> so and that's and that in those terms, it's like a success. Yeah, I, that it might like, that one has a shot at being, like, the best card in the set, honestly. Or the most important going forward. Well, Triomes, but yes. Uh, yeah, okay, fair. But, <laughs> but honestly, you can say that with, like, every land set, usually. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the rare land really doesn't count. 
Oh, I do want to talk about Mage's Attendant real quick. I don't know what that card is. So this is two and a white for a 3-2 Cat Rogue. When it enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 one, one blue wizard creature token with one sacrifice this creature, counter target non-creature spell unless its controller pays one. So it's, you know, four three worth of stats across two bodies. Uh, the creature types are really good because they're, they're both non-humans. So I think this is like a, a possible good card in a Winota deck. It's also two different uh party creature types in one card if you're trying to if you're still trying to make that work. No, we're not. We're we're not. But like the one drop uh into this, then you have like three party members really, really fast. I actually enjoy this as a white counter spell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this card is pretty well designed. I wonder what else in this set makes blue wizard counter spell creatures. But but generally like this thing has four three worth of stats over two bodies and the one one body like has a useful kind of annoying taxing ability i like i think this card is pretty good i think it'll like see play in spots that you wouldn't expect because it's just like giving value in in good ways obviously we already have 10 playable white three drops in standard but this is doing it in a different way and and will work in different decks yeah and the thing about white makes sense to me yeah <laughs> it even gives you a little bit of protection not as good as like a uh loyal companion or whatever the mm -hmm. dog is but it's a, it's a little something I, I mean if you fit any other taxing elements into your winota deck somehow then i think that it can combine with those really nicely on its own it probably doesn't do that much all right what, what other cards are on your mind for mm -hmm. now those are the main ones that i was thinking Finally, a suspicious bookcase reprint. I didn't even realize it was a reprint. We've all been waiting for it. I think it's a corset reprint. Well, I'm good to leave spoilers until we've got the full set and we can do a review of yeah whatever I can dredge up on this set. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, we'll see how deep we have to go for our top fives, but that will be our next episode since we'll have the whole list. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to go over. All right, then until, until next week. Until be very happy about the 100 cards we haven't seen yet and they're all going to be great well it is probably a lot of draft commons in that last 100 cards but some oh. of them well i only need like a stitcher supplier type of card that they don't reveal in the previews to be right. like this is worth it because i did the, it that that corset was chock full of good cards and stitcher supplier was among the top mm -hmm. yeah you never know what you'll find. I mean, a couple of sets recently have fit some really, really good commons in. Like, Deadly Dispute is a common and one of the most important cards in a couple of formats. That card is $4. Yep. I know because I added them to my cart in TCG Player because no one had them locally. And I'm like, eh, I'm not buying this. This is too much. So then I asked Alan if I could borrow them. And then like a, a week or so later... Told him that I didn't need them because I accidentally forgot to remove them from my cart and had ordered them. That is a wildly expensive in-print common. I don't think that I've ever seen that. It's because AFR sucked. Yeah, because no nobody opened it. that. Nobody drafted <laughs> that in paper. <laughs> like, it just wasn't good. Not not cool to get another one. Another D&D &D set. Well, it's just a commander set, right? Yeah, but it's still I'm still not happy about it. <laughs> You'll just have to live. I'm sorry. Thanks, everybody, so much for hanging out. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate your time. If you'd like to lend us some support, 
head over to uh, patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I am at Lee McCleo. And if you really want to support us, just like tweet about how much you like our commentary and how much you want to see us doing commentary on other tournaments. That's like the thing that I think we both want to do the most. So uh, any help there, uh, much appreciated. And honestly, if you even didn't see the commentary and just want to make us feel better, <laughs> go ahead. Just say that you loved it. <laughs> but you could also watch it, and then I'm sure you'll love it. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, yeah. <laughs> I can't say it better myself. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Goodbye. <laughs>